The Baron, Internet Radio, WCEB, the voice of Corning Community College. Community is our middle name. I'm Mike at the Mike. I have with me English professor Edward Doherty, who recently released a work of 18 essays entitled Journey Work, Crafting a Life of Spirit. Edward, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. Why essays? Yeah, it's a good question because most of my publications have been my own poetry. But I felt like it was my chance to say as much as I can about what I've learned about writing poetry, reading poetry, and how that infuses and informs other aspects of my life, including spirit and, uh, for me, peacemaking, too. Talk to me about the title. Yeah, Crafting a Life of Poetry and Spirit. So um, it's journey work because of the you know, kind of classical framework of an apprentice comes to school not knowing anything and gets trained by hopefully a master. Uh, I got a master's degree in poetry writing, but I don't think of myself much as a master, as kind of a, what used to be called a journeyman, a worker who's learned some stuff, but I think the old idea of a masterpiece that's somebody else's job to identify you've, you've hit the big time. So I'll just keep working at it as a kind of no longer apprentice, but in the, in the fields, working at it and still learning. And so this was my chance to explain what I've learned and begin the process of internalizing it by writing about it. So you have a degree in poetry. Yeah. What sparked that? Uh, I don't, I, it goes way back, uh, and that's part of the, the the journey of the book is my own development. The first essay has uh, a scene when I was an undergrad in the stacks coming across uh, William Carlos Williams' book and having this weird experience of reading this guy's work who I knew from classes and you know, was a poet, was in the anthologies and towering figure in, in American letters. And I had this strange resonance that I don't know that I thought I could do that so much as I want to do that. I had the sense that what he was doing, transforming his life into language and, and form and poetry, that was something that I was possible for me. And so that really launched it more formally. But I went to undergraduate, uh, I went to Penn State. I went to school to be an English major. Um, at first I was both creative writing and education, my dad thought I should have something to fall back on. But I uh, bailed on the education thing because I, I never thought I'd be a teacher. And here I am, having taught at Corning Community College for over 20 years. <laughs> Thinking back, what sparked you to be a writer in the first place? You know, was there a point in elementary school or middle school or high school or a, a teacher that inspired you to do that? Yeah, I think it's a good combination of all that. Um, I was always a reader which was unusual. My dad kept up on current events, but he didn't crack books so much. And I loved books, so I don't know where that came from. I think my mom. Um, and poetry, I had a, a junior year uh, teacher named Mr. Waz, Garrett Wozniki, who loved William Butler Yeats. Uh, he introduced me to Emily Dickinson, both poets that I found pretty incomprehensible at the time. But there was something about his passion his love for them, that's what I connected with. Uh, and so I found myself reading poems on my own 
and trying to write some, uh, even in high school. I don't know that I have them anymore, but they'd be probably pretty terrible. <laughs> the best teachers provide that spark. I think so. I think so. That passion, that sense of commitment to what we love comes across even more than any specific knowledge or skill. Tell me about your writing process. Yeah, uh, again, I, I go into this in the book. It, it evolved from that high school uh, sense of poetry being a way of expressing myself, so having some intense experience or strong emotion and trying to get that out, which I think is important and, and valuable. But I recognize in college and after there was more to it, that poetry is a craft, you're making a thing. Um, the, a good analogy is pottery. You know, you don't see the emotion in the potter, you see the pottery, you see the object. And to think of language as a medium that is, has texture, it has density, it has uh, sound that can be um, pleasing, like the soundtrack of a movie, it conveys emotion and information before the visuals or the the dialogue does, we get a feeling. And so to, to begin exploring that craft uh, of the language was really exciting for me. So now, I guess uh, my process goes back and forth between finding something what I think is important to say and finding a, a way to say it. That, that form or the way of writing, the language itself, does something with the message rather than just convey it so that it's like a, you know, an Amazon box. <laughs> Once you open it up, you got your thing, you don't need the box anymore. I think poetry, the, the container, is part of the message. Is it different writing a poem as compared to an essay? For me it is, um, yeah. And these essays in particular, because I, some of them are um, kind of similar to what people would write in comp to an analysis of literature. Uh, mostly poets that I really love. I, I kind of dedicated myself to trying to articulate for myself and maybe for others. And if anybody picks them up and, and finds what I've said about these poets valuable, good, that's the goal. I wanted to honor poets that I really liked and to try to identify what are they doing that I find so effective that, that moves me so much. So those are, um, you know, trying to figure out what's my thesis and what evidence would I select, and how do I analyze that evidence to make the point. So that's a pretty deliberative process. Um, the other essays in the book are more uh, memoir, more my story. And so sometimes they just, I just sat down with an idea and clicked away at the keyboard until I felt like I had something whole, and uh, then just entered into a process of revision, which it was by revising, by making the changes that I realized, oh, the heart of this essay is really this idea. So it was almost like I discovered the thesis by writing it, and then revised it to shape the material around it. So that was a very different process for me. It was more like how I write poetry. I discover the meaning and then revise my way into it. Working with students on campus, that revision part is always the part that's the hardest. Yeah, yeah. I, I've said to my classes, I don't know if anybody believes me, but I find that the, the hallmark of a, of a writer, someone who's really internalized a process, that a way of making decisions about what do I want to say and how do I want to say it, and is that effective for my audience, that imaginative jump into the mindset of somebody who doesn't have our experience, all they have is our words. 
the hallmark of someone who has that process is revision. That the working of the language, the rearranging of material, the taking it out, the adding in examples or explanation, that process is how we think through our ideas. I, I find, as a, as a writer myself, but also as a teacher watching other people do this, it's really rare that somebody has an idea, they know all the parts of that idea, and then they sit down to write it, and it's exactly that. That it, the process is always a little messy because there's a gap between the pure, uh, idealized intention and then the actual wording what's made, the, the language itself. And until we get a process that includes working with the language, that messes around with what I'm actually saying, to help me figure out what my intention is or refine it, um, it can be really frustrating for, for writers. Because I assign it, but if they don't have a feeling for it or if they've never had an experience of that discovery, it can feel really like busy work. And I appreciate that. But I'm going to continue making my students do it until, because my hope is that they experience it, because once they do, it's, there's no joy like it. You're in complete control of what your idea is and how you're going to shape it. And no job in my life has ever given me that, that much control, that much creative um, authority. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a joy. You mentioned earlier that you were a reader growing up. I've often heard that good readers make good writers. I think there's definitely got to be a connection between internalizing both um, ideas and stories, characters, um, and the forms of language through reading. And then when you go to try and do it, you have a whole bunch of models that you may not even have deliberately studied, but they're inside you. Um, and I think that's true of musicians, too. They, They've learned a lot by just listening to music that they like. So that when they go to try and compose or, or write a song, they have the material already inside them. So I think it does give you a leg up as a writer to, to enjoy the language. Is there a passage in your book of essays that you could read for us? Sure. Uh, this is the end of a longish essay that tells a story of... Uh, so I graduated from Penn State. And I knew I wanted to be a writer, but um, in the few months and first year after graduation, when I didn't have the structure of classes, didn't have the, uh, the pressure of assignments, my writing sort of fizzled out. And I started to wonder, if I'm not writing, this sense of identity, I'm, I wanted to be a poet. But if I wasn't writing poetry, who was I? So uh, the essay is called Apprentice Days, and it's learning to internalize and actualize from within myself what does it mean to be a writer. And at the end of that, I wrote these two paragraphs. My first and second books came out within a few months of each other, more than 15 years after completing my MFA, my Master's in Fine Arts. Each cover is graced by artwork by people I know. Each collection has been praised for its haiku-like imagery, the long fulfillment of effort and discipline of intuition and guesswork, of thousands of bad poems, hopefully learned from, and the assistance of so many people, despite there being only one name on the cover. By the time the collections were tangible objects in the world, some poems were decades old, and I was already working on new books. All art enjoys a vast history, 
as well as a vast interiority within each maker. So the work goes on. To remind myself of this truth, above my desk I display a quote by Theodore Rethke. I now understand it at a level I couldn't 20 years ago. He said, eternal apprenticeship is the life of the true poet. Whether any of us is a true poet or not may be up to others to decide, but I'm committing to going on with my apprenticeship nonetheless, a nobody among nobodies. Thank you for that. Writing takes hard work. And you mentioned once you graduated from college, now you're not writing on a consistent basis. And I'm thinking children's author Roald Dahl. In one of his interviews, he said, I get up every morning, I go to the shed where he writes, and I write for two, three, four, five hours. And I have to do that every day. I think part of that is um, uh, I'm like an aspiring, well, I, I wouldn't even go that far. Uh, the idea of being an athlete, I aspire to that. <laughs> I don't even aspire to the athletics, just the idea of it. But I've heard from a lot of people who start a routine, particularly running, I've heard from runners a lot, that it, after a while, you, you internalize that habit, so you get over the, the hump of the grind of it, and the body starts to hunger for it. It does something good for us. And um, so for me, I would say, um, not every day, but I write regularly. And I've shaped my life around a couple of habits that make that possible. You know, I always have a pen on me. I always have something to write on. Um, very often I have my poetry journal in my bag. So uh, all of that is a manifestation, an externalizing of the discipline. So that I know if I get an idea for a poem or have that feeling that this experience or this turn of phrase could be a poem, I've shaped my life to make that available. And then regularly from there, I, there are other disciplines. But I think that's what Donald's talking about. You, you find a way to shape your life around this commitment that you're making to yourself and to this art form. And you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it. Exactly. I think particularly for poetry, because uh, unlike other opportunities as writers, I, you know, a famous poet really just means famous among, among poets, right? So it's not like you're going to get fame or make even a living uh, in this form. Uh, you know, novelists or children's books authors might be able to make a living from it. So if that's taken off the board, why? what else motivates us? And I think the sense of gratification, the sense that this is meaningful, and a sense of control, a sense of autonomy. I get to make all the choices. Uh, that's pretty cool. And then you know, there's a little little angel in the back of my head that says, you know, this might be saying something valuable for other people. If they pick it up, they might see their own experience reflected. Or as a reader, I've had that amazing experience of reading something and just something inside me rejoicing, saying, oh my God, I've had that same experience. It's almost magical to read something from this stranger who's articulating my own life. And if I could do something like that for other people, I think that's a, a great service in this world. Do you have a specific form of poetry that calls to you, or do you write any kind of form? Yeah, so in the book I talk about coming across the writings of a poet named Denise Levertov, and she used the term organic form. And the idea is it's kind of simple, that the 
the subject matter, the feeling, the idea, the progression of that, however that gets discovered, that that dictates the form of the poem. So rather than a sonnet, which is an, an existing form, and then you shape your ideas and feeling to that form, they both emerge together. And that somehow, what she says, form is never more than an extension of the meaning. And so they're fused in some way. Um, I aspire to that. I like that because form, you can write a haiku or a sinking, you know, and, and there is a structure to that. Uh, but poetry, and most students, or most people, I would think, say, poetry rhymes, you know. It's, right? it's yeah. Shel Silverstein or, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of that is we get exposed to poetry that, you know, meets us where we are. So the first poetry that we have is usually very highly musical, which is what rhyme and meter does, and it, therefore it's also very memorable. So it sticks with us. And if we've been exposed to that as kids, very often we've heard it more than once. So any song that we've heard, you know, three, four, eight times, 20 times, you know, songs that we turned on somebody else, you gotta hear this. They've gotten inside us in a way that other stuff doesn't. So by the time you get to high school, which is probably the last time people explore poetry with any detail, uh, those expectations are already pretty built in. But haiku's a great example. I, I lived in Japan for a couple of years and uh, I've been pretty influenced by the aesthetics of Japan and particularly haiku. So discovering within that uh, three-line form the moving parts of it that help bring out more than what the words themselves can say is uh, endlessly fascinating to me. A poem can be anything. It can, yeah. I think if that idea of the words reflect more than what they can say, that there's you know, like, like a movie that you've watched more than once and you still look like, oh my God, I missed that. It rewards repeated attention. I think that's a, uh, a pretty good standard to shoot for. The figurative language in poetry is what makes a poem a poem to me oftentimes. Do you have a specific type of figurative language that mm -hmm. you use more than mm -hmm. others? For me, the experience is more the other way, that uh, what, what we're trying to write about Let's say it's an emotion. Let's say you're having an experience where um, you've had a, a disagreement with somebody that you love. So you, it's a thorny feeling, but there's also affection. So you want to heal a relationship. So you have this mixture of emotions. So the question is, how do I get this abstract, intangible experience into language? And so anybody who's had the experience of telling a story and not getting any response and you you fall back on, well, you had to be there. It's saying you had to have that same experience, that the language itself isn't conveying that experience. So when writing a poem, knowing that the experience itself is pretty uh, elusive, then what, what I'm doing is trying to reach for these figures to give it something of substance, a figure, something to compare it to that might be more seemingly tangible or more relatable than this uh, unformed, uh, still-evolving, mysterious experience that I'm having. So it could be metaphor, it could be simile, it could be a symbol. Sometimes all of that is uh, more intuitive. I'm feeling my way through it because I don't know my subject well enough to say, what's the best way to express this? I try expressing it. 
it's like this. And then I realize it is like that. I've discovered something about the true subject by comparing it to something else. Probably comes through in revision. Yes, exactly. That's my experience, is that some of those um, metaphors, and I, I try, when I'm teaching a, a poetry class, I encourage people, the catchphrase I say is, take your language seriously. So that sometimes in revision, when you read it, you're like, oh, that simile or that metaphor, that image, conveys more of the feeling. So let me emphasize that a little bit more, or pick up on that phrasing and use that as a, not quite a refrain, but it could be a refrain so that it's musically structured to emphasize the idea of it. The word I've heard before is wordsmithing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just playing with words, oftentimes. Right, but that even that is a metaphor. You know, Smith is going to be pounding that with heat. So there's, there's contact, there's force, there's uh, a sense of bending, there's shaping. I think that's a good way to think about it. It's a little violent for my taste, but, <laughs> but the metaphor is it's not just let me uh, express myself. Let me just say this thing because I, I have this uh, built-up feeling and I need to vent it. Again, that serves a, a really important emotional and psychological purpose, but when we're working with poetry as an art form, that smithing, that working the language, is a really good way to think about it. Are you working on anything new? <laughs> I laugh because I'm, I'm always working on something and I'm working on too many things right now. Um, I've been working in essays. Uh, the first essay in the book, which uh, if any listeners are interested, is on my website. You can download a PDF. You don't have to buy the book. You can read it directly. Um, I put it out there because a former student created a, a book trailer. So. Uh, check out Elliot's book trailer, and it'll make more sense, the trailer, because I read from the essay that's posted there. But it's one of these essays. I wanted to write what I call micro-essays. <laughs> I'm just making up terms now. Really short essays that are kind of poetic, kind of essayish, maybe telling a story, maybe not, maybe just playing with words. And they're in praise of the unlikely. So the first essay in the book is called In Praise of Ointment because one of my roommates, we were playing with words, and he said the word appointment uh, in a really funny way, and, and then uh, just became a word that taught me the feeling of, oh, language is like a material. So, that's, so there's in praise of uh, unsolving, and in praise of not seeing, and all these other kinds of things. In praise of grog, which was a, a cool word to play with. So that's a book of essays that I've been playing with for a couple of years now. Great. Do you have an idea of when it will be published, or is it, you know, uh, just as you go? Yeah, I've got a couple of the individual pieces are out there, so if you search the internet, or some of them are linked on my website. Um, but it's my process, especially for essays, takes a really long time, partly because uh, I've got a full-time gig. <laughs> yeah, the job usually gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And teaching is a great gig, but it does take a lot of time. Well, I thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Edward Doherty, who just released a work of 18 essays called Journey Work, Crafting a Life of Spirit, today on Campus Spotlight. I'm Mike at the Mic. This is WCEB, the Baron Internet Radio, the voice of Corning Community College. Community is our middle name.